We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi there, I'm Daniel Moore and you're listening to Season 3 of the Hearing Architecture Podcast, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. This is the first episode of our regular season of episodes and we're really glad to have so many people listening to us again. So welcome back. We're thrilled to have you back on board. Thanks as well to everyone who listened to our special APAF episodes exploring the theme Cooperate, Co-Design and Coexist. If you missed those episodes, they're still available wherever you listen to your podcasts and they're a great way to discover some of the great architects doing work in the Asia-Pacific region. So, over the next four episodes, we're going to be exploring architecture competitions. The people who've won them, people who've run them, and the people who just can't get enough of them. Some people think they're too risky because of the low chance of winning, but others use them as a way to explore ideas that might scare away some more timid clients. But the big question we're exploring is, do architecture competitions make projects better? In this episode, we're catching up with Matthias Hollenstein of Studio Hollenstein, based in Sydney. His practice essentially began off the back of winning the architecture competition for Green Square in Sydney. The brief was to design a public square with extensive amenities to serve an area of inner city Sydney that is slowly being developed into a modern high-density precinct. The stakes for the competition were high, but the outcomes have pushed the bar higher for great urban design and architecture. Let's jump in. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Matthias, on the Hearing Architecture Podcast. How are you going? Oh, very well, thanks. Yeah, had a good day. How about you guys? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going really well, thank you. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and, yeah, being happy to talk to us about architecture competitions now you've you've achieved uh, an absolutely stunning project in uh, for one project in particular that came off the back of a competition which was green square would you want to tell us about what inspired you to actually enter that competition and and how you got started yeah i mean it it came about when was it 2012 you know, Green Square was, you know, it's the heart of Green Square Town Centre. That town centre had been through kind of a master planning process that took quite a few years. It itself, I think there were sort of competitions or at least one competition to, to master plan it and it evolved sort of from that point and, you know, had to reach the, reach the right time of, you know, feasibility and sort of government approvals and, and everything like that. And in 2012, the City of Sydney held a competition for the library and the plaza at the heart of uh, Green Square Town Centre. It had to support, you know, community that would come to be home to 60,000 people, one of the densest or the densest part of the Australia, you know, when, when it was master planned with densities equivalent to that of, you know, Hong Kong or Shanghai. So, wow. you know, really, really different to kind of everybody's, you know, idealistic dream of, of what Australia is like or vision of mm -hmm. what Australia is like. So really about, you know, w what happens when this country does, does densify and we, we do sort of shift to 
you know, more urban communities, 24-7 communities, things like that. And what was really interesting about the project or the competition was that it was for both a building and a plaza. Mm-hmm. Uh, often they're sort of split, they're seen as two separate things, but in this instance they they really form part of the same competition. And again, being at the heart of the town centre, there was a lot of focus on on what it would be and that it would really help define the character of, of that area beyond just the density or, or you know, the, the kind of population. Mm. And to be honest, originally it, it maybe wasn't, the competition was maybe not too interesting. It was kind of clouded in the history of Green Square Town Centre. It, it maybe had a bad rap early on, you know, I mean, it, it was light industrial area, you know, a few bits of, of council owned land. It was, it was not a place. It was sort of a backwater when the train line was, was linked to the airport for the, I think it was for the 2000 Olympics. You know, there was a sort of dot marked on a, a plan and that was for Green Square Town Centre or, or, or Green Square and, and the sort of, you know, idea of urban renewal really grew. And, and so it was never really a, a place that already had a character. It, it, maybe it looked, you know, speaking with hindsight, maybe it looked like a land grab, you know. Yeah. But on, on kind of further inspection, it, it really showed itself to be competition that could have impact. Mm-hmm. That, it, you know, the, the way you responded to that competition or that design brief meant you could really impact the lives of, of many people and, you know, improve them, improving that quality of life. And yeah, and that's why where that interest uh, really sparked. And it was kind of talking through the the, the problems with the brief or the problems mm. with the master plan that we really started to see what a, you know, our, our response might be. Mm. And I mean, there's a lot built into that in terms of, you know, density, a location that, you know, could have been pushed, can be pushed more and could become something great. What, what were some of those early conversations that you started to have with your, you know, design team that, that started to reveal the opportunities in, in the design that you thought you might put forward? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, and I actually think when we presented to the jury, I kind of pitched it in this way, but it was about thinking through it from the life of a resident. Mm-hmm. So, and and in a way, we kind of thought, oh, what's the worst unit that might be in the, in the you know, I mean, obviously they're all going to be apartments. So, which would be the worst, and who who would need the most out of this public space, and and what what would they want to do there? And and it was through those conversations that we realised that it was it was about more than a library alone Mm. or more Mm. than a building it was also about the public space and that the plaza you know maybe in the in the master plan the plaza was kind of a forecourt to the building but for us the the plaza was as important you know the building is a backdrop to the plaza Mm. you know you have to kind of look at it the other way maybe and and yeah so it was through that thinking that we realized that the plaza need you know both the plaza and the building needed to cover the site and then how do you do that well okay you know mm. you put the building sort of underneath or you merge the two together and you know in, in the way that you do that you create real interest and really dynamic public space great okay so so what were the sorts of things that you started to to realize that you could do with a space that you might not be able to do on on a regular site that was just you know just a completely flat site you know open block kind of kind of site that you know maybe was you know there was a bigger advantage of being in such an urban context 
Yeah, I mean, the urban context, you know, the master plan had specific planning controls on the location and the height of the surrounding buildings. Mm. So we knew that the, the site boundary would basically be built, you know, right up to the boundary by the adjacent developments they would go up to you know 100 meters tall you know from memory it probably was even taller than that but that you know it would nearly be like you know if a, if a project is a person you're sort of you know you're a kid surrounded by you know these kind of you know this gang of adults uh, around you but also that's an opportunity, you know, like urban space, the street, these are public rooms. Mm. And so for us, it was like, well, okay, how do we, how do we put anything into that urban room? And, you know, obviously placing the building underneath means we really maximize the scale of that space, but mm. put some, putting something inside it as well gives it a scale. And for us, it was about a human scale. And so that mitigated the scale of the surrounding buildings. Yeah, and and do you think that that was a huge driver that the existing other buildings and also some of the pr- proposed buildings around there that they were going to be large, mass, tall buildings around you, and then you could do something kind of smaller and facing forward into the plaza aspect and, and open space. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, you know, they exclusively projects with commercial drivers they're all residential mixed use or commercial buildings Mm. you know this of course is a public project of course they need to be on budget and you know effective and efficient buildings but they all all of those buildings you had to assume would would fill their envelope right you Mm. know you've got to kind of got to maximize that whereas here we we probably did have more flexibility Our, our project did kind of break envelopes in different ways or rules in different ways Mm. but it was to create i guess that that kind of you know urban drama let's say that actually would would create a dynamic town center to Mm. sort of offset the maybe more more predictable you know urban form Mm. that would be around which is really about buildings built to boundary in in this in this instance of course it's great that They've all been master planned with active frontages around and facing the plaza and things like that, but mm. that they would really fill those volumes. Yeah, and with regards to the program of the project, what did you find was really difficult to to actually integrate into the design in terms of the usable spaces uh, in the in the program for the building? Because there's quite a lot of different uses going on within yep. within the project, aren't there? Yeah. And I mean, look, maybe I'll, I'll see it and see that question in two ways. So one is, I guess, how did we anticipate what the adjacent frontages would provide? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the DCP or the, the controls that have anticipated maybe some retail, they even talked about some showrooms, mm-hmm. you know, restaurants on the, on the southern side sort of facing north in the sun. But we also, these weren't already there. So we didn't know, you know, in terms of the plaza, how would the plaza engage with those projects? Mm-hmm. And so that was was really a, a conversation that, that lasted through the competition with the jury and even through with the, the client in the long run as we developed the project. That was a question that was always sort of revisited. And that's why the plaza is as flexible as possible with those interfaces to allow, you know, many forms of, of activation to occur. But mm. then within the project itself and, you know, 
the kind of programs or activities that the plaza or the or the library might might afford or allow it was really a, for us a question of you know what does any what does what do people want to do in any public space or, or maybe even anywhere and vice versa you know what kinds of public space exist and, and what can we put in in the spot and that's why we expanded the brief to include an outdoor amphitheater you know we saw that as a place for for music for you know like the the mayor spoke at the opening of the library there you could have cinema there but even in everyday mode you know people can use the the bleachers and the steps for boot camp and mm. and things like that so it's really interesting uh, i actually saw an article today that you know in, in the middle of the city they're actually looking uh the committee for sydney mm. uh has recommended that there be an amphitheater outdoor open air amphitheater built in the middle of the city for nearly exactly the same reasons mm. and you know they had different examples for for that all over the world as well but i think that you know we wanted the project to enable as much uh, and as diverse public activity as we could without it being i mean it's always that catch where you can make something so loose it it does nothing or so prescriptive it does one thing and it was really about finding that balance and you know there are moments where it, where it sort of goes between the you know that spectrum yeah and i guess that's the interesting thing about competitions is that sometimes you've got to or you've got to make a choice about how how closely do you stick with the brief and then how far do you push it to include other things that might not have been asked for because you made this beautiful design and you included so much in it, did you find that your design that you first submitted carried through closely with what ended up being on the site? Yeah. So the, I mean, in terms of engagement, there was it was so extensive. I'm not sure I'll ever have a, another project with as much <laughs> stakeholder engagement. And I mean that, you know, I mean, it, it, it's great. Stakeholder engagement was amazing. It, it allowed us to see new things that we needed to do or things we're already doing in a new way. You know, for instance, and you know, this is sort of something for everyone, really. Everyone assumes at the moment that everyone has an iPhone, that everyone can get the internet everywhere and anywhere. It's mm -hmm. totally not the case. There's a there's a, a really important portion of the community that, that don't have that. And just because you have free Wi-Fi doesn't mean that they, you know, can access the QR code or, or whichever. But that, that that's just an aside. But that was one thing, for instance, that came up in our engagement with local youth groups that, you know, it was the library was also a place for them to engage in technology and that we we shouldn't just assume that everyone could use their own laptop everywhere and that we should have you know laptops on loan and and things like that i mean one what was fantastic about the competition is that we could put forward so many different ideas. Hmm. The way they were resolved is really what changed and evolved through the project. It was maybe less about which ideas were included. And that is maybe the benefit of a, of a competition is that, you know, we weren't adding these things at the end because, you know, it's only through real engagement over time with the project that you might sometimes get to those if, if a project slowly builds. But we really, through the competition, were able to kind of, you know, shotgun, you know, every idea we ever thought was, was a, a great idea for a public project, whether that was, you know, community gardens in the project to, you know, the way it would be used for boot camp, the, the role of uh, a cafe you know, or even bar might might have in a library, the outdoor amphitheater, a music room where people could play music to the whole plaza. You know, these were ideas that were were in, 
were put into the competition mm -hmm. and the way they were resolved is what evolved uh, through that process. And that's because you're dealing with, you know, the maintenance stakeholders, you know, all, all forms of stakeholder and of course budget. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, it was more about where these ideas could sit rather than whether or not they should be included. Yeah. And did that become kind of tricky, I guess, when, as the project's evolving over time, there might be new things like you know, smartphones might have become more ubiquitous and part of part of the everyday life. That then a bigger technology element started to creep into the brief and was like, okay, now now we have to allow for these things, and you know, some rooms might become less usable or did that sort of start to happen over that period of time i mean the question of technology and i mean i sort of touched on it already on just you know the um how accessible it is to everyone but you know technology is an issue every project needs to deal with mm. and it definitely did evolve through the life of our project mainly and i would say that i feel like we did we did it justice in this project. So the main things that changed were, you know, what kind of TV it was in the spec, you know, like mm -hmm. it was no longer the one from, you know, two years ago, it's, it's mm -hmm. the latest one. But one thing we did at the start of the project being, you know, relative young architects, knowing that our client would be incredibly ambitious and, and be looking to us for, for, for ideas, knowledge, solutions, is that we went on a, a trip around the world after we won the competition to visit a number of the best libraries and public spaces in the world. Mm. Kind of a, you know, like a little bit of a, yeah, just to really drop ourselves into it. And we went to the Ober Library in the, in Amsterdam, mm -hmm. which is one of the, you know, at the time was one of the most celebrated libraries. They had dedicated an entire floor to CDs. <laughs> I mean, I would say it was to music, but they pitched right. it. They pitched it on CDs, mm -hmm. and already it was out of date. And so wow. you immediately really learnt that you have to make space for technology, mm. but you don't necessarily need to build it in. You know, and so we, you know, all of the technology and the project, I mean, obviously you have, you have cables on the wall and things like that, but in terms of the checkout machines, you know, the PCs and the iPads that people use, these aren't sort of built into custom joinery. They are sort of placed on top of, you know, walls or, or tables and things like that so that they can change mm. um, because that's the, that's the inevitable thing is that technology, it is not constant. It always changes. Yeah, and I guess that's that's the hard thing. I mean, just like the room with dedicated to CDs, you know, if it had been a room that was just about audio or about yeah music, with the keeping it kind of general and then just making sure yeah, you know services are accessible, things can yeah. be adapted uh, over time. <laughs> absolutely, and maybe just to frame it a little bit. I mean, it was a floor dedicated to music, but the way that resolved it were these you know egg chairs that were bolted to the floor with in front of it bolted shelving suited only to CDs, you know, a CD player integrated in a really bespoke way with the chair so that, you know, I mean, if you love CDs, like that's just, that that would be heaven. But, you know, I'm sure as soon as the, you know, an MP3 player came along and even now with Spotify, of course, and, and things like that, it's just so outdated. And, you know, maybe there's, they could, because they built everything in, they could only fit so many chairs, whereas now it could just be a, a room full of, full of couches. And, you know, as you walk in, you can pick up a, you know, a little player and, and some headphones and, and listen to anything you like. And for a library or, or a public project, we had the director of the library tell us, you know, she said, uh, we had a, a quote to remove them 
Mm. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, right, so I mean, yeah. you know, as much, every time you try and build something in or fix it, it's like the, the shelves at Surrey Hills Library, they were bolted <laughs> to the floor. You know, if, the, if they want to kind of move them or change the way the space is used, that, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, we've really got to think about flexibility with public space. Absolutely. And you had a, quite a prestigious jury, um, including Glenn Merkett on the, the original presentation, I believe. Was it the same group of people on your design review panels as well? Or was that, that sort of transfer to the city of Sydney and you had other people that you were, that you were meeting with as long as, as well as with the um, community consultation? Yeah, so the yeah the competition had two stages, and the jury was the same for both of those. So Glenn Merkett, Rachel Neeson, I'm going to forget a name here. Yeah, I'll forget a name. <laughs> it's all right. but, uh, they, look, they were incredible, and you know the conversations we had with them were actually really enlightening and 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 amazing. But yeah, once the you know the winner was chosen and we were engaged by council, we then undertook a series of design reviews with the City of Sydney Design Review Panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's the like of, you know, Ken Ma, Richard Johnson and and a few others. I think Rachel Neeson's on there at the moment as well. And and that was an entirely separate process. So I think even though Rachel's on there now, she wasn't while while we were doing the library and should actually double check that. But yeah, and I think maybe we had three or four of those and you know they they were actually fantastic and i mean the design review panel were really there to of course advise council Mm. that's that's their role but for us they actually really empowered us Mm. and and provided maybe an objective voice and maybe some reason when there were any questions or any kind of not conflicts but maybe tensions between the design concept and you know issues to do with maintenance mm. or or different things like that uh, so they really sort of unlocked you know the design of the project rather than sort of you know trimming it down or changing it we, we actually really enjoyed that process yeah and was there was there i guess a a way that they can also provide feedback to to suggest certain things for you to consider and to take things on board that would that would i guess also you know it's almost like a mentoring role not just a you know, just for review, it's also like to help along yeah, the way. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that, you know, that was probably even more, you know, that the sense of that mentorship was even more potent, potent given probably our relative ages mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, you know, I kind of keep in touch with, with them, you know, I mean, that's sort of in the industry, of course, so you always see, see them around and things like that. But there was definitely that mentorship and, and that was great. That's fantastic. And now that it's been about four years since the, coming into the fifth year, I think, since the project was finished, how have you seen the operators and the you know, city of Sydney um, and even the public sort of starting to twist it to suit their own needs? How has that started to, to take shape? Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the most exciting part of any project is going and, and seeing, you know, you know, you hope that they might use it in the way that you've envisaged, but what's awesome is when they use it in totally different ways. Mm-hmm. And that that is really exciting. And the project has a kind of a playability in it that I think really encourages people to use it in different ways. You know, the way skateboarders using the plaza, were, you know, is kind of interesting. There's, you know, there are like world famous skateboarders who have come there to, to you know, do all sorts of things. The way kids use the, the different spaces as well has been really exciting. 
our office is nearby. So, I mean, to be honest, I haven't been down there since <laughs> since COVID, but it has always been been good to get down there and and just you know have lunch at the cafe, check in with the librarians. You know, ask them, hey, what you know? In a way, I actually usually ask what what's going wrong rather, rather than you know <laughs> tell me the good stuff. And you know, I mean, I think that's always that's always nice to hear. They, to be honest, they haven't really ever said too many bad things. Maybe they're too polite, but no, it's going well. I think one thing that's also been interesting is that I mean, just mentioned the cafe, the mm. the cafe there, the operators they've operated another kind of public cafe in city of Sydney as well, so they're quite experienced in that. But what's been really interesting is to see the way they've. And I mentioned before, we'd been on this round the world, you know, library tour. Mm. There are cafes and many libraries around the world. Most of them are, are failures. Most of them right. are not mm. working that well. But what's been really interesting is these guys have just totally become such a success at the library. They have a liquor license there as well. So it opens as a bar in the evening. Mm. They have musicians that come and play to the plaza. Uh, they have, you know, what's it called? Like uh, when you canvas and cork or something, when you like, okay. you know, you have a glass of wine while you paint, they sort of run programs in there as well. Mm. Uh, and that's been, that's that's been, I mean, that was always our aim that it would become, you know, because it was one of the first buildings built within Green Square Town Centre, mm. that it would become, you know, obviously a node or an attractor as a library, but also in terms of the cafe, drawing people in and activating the plaza. And they've done they've done a, a really wonderful job there. Yeah, well, it's it seems like it's a very successful square, you know, in, in the sense like a European <laughs> square. Um, you know, and um, so, uh, you know, and it's, it's kind of interesting looking at it from the European perspective where there was... Um, buildings built around the square, whereas in this one we've got some structures right in the centre of it. But yeah, the square is really active, so it's it's really interesting to see that that's that's not inhibited the space that you can, might not from certain angles see right through it. But you know, it's it's actually helped activate it because I guess some of those structures also help with illuminating the space. Yep. And it, was that all part of the the design intent? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what's, I mean, it's interesting you say that it's already a success. I mean, there's one, aside from the project itself, there's only one building that's <laughs> finished adjacent the plaza, which has maybe a, a 15 meter frontage, whereas wow. the rest is, I mean, there's sort of, you know, open pathways on the other sides and things, but there's no other frontage at the moment other than just hoardings with, you know, beautiful illustrations of, of projects to come and things like that. But the, the scale of the plaza, you know, even in, mm. in, you know, in Europe, you know, obviously Plaza Central, the scale of it was, you know, it's maybe 180 or 200 metres long. It's maybe 60, 40 to 60 metres wide at its widest point. It's sort of a, a fish shape, so an incredibly unusual shape. You know, let's say a new build plaza, you know, usually everyone's just building things in grids. But it was so wide that it needed something in the middle mm. and and that's where the the library itself whether it's the tower the garden the amphitheater or the 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 entry triangle with the cafe they become incredibly important to to creating a sense of scale as a, you know sense of interest as well as activation in the middle of the plaza that that really does help the plaza has skylights that you know obviously bring daylight into the library below and they they have you know lights in them as well and so that helps to to give a sense of interest and and sense of safety in the middle mm. of the plaza as well 
Yeah, absolutely. You can get some of that observation and passive surveillance into yeah. the space from from those buildings, which is absolutely. which is lovely. But and it's, it's going to be yeah. interesting seeing how as the you know i think there's one two maybe six other buildings that'll be built around it you know i kind of feel like every time there's one more building built it'll feel like the project is born anew <laughs> because you know the plaza will just totally change and i think in a way that's that sort of that you know the way i see that's that kind of gift it just keeps giving mm. uh, as everything around it sort of comes alive absolutely and i mean was that an element of the competition where you know, the city of Sydney were quite forward thinking in saying, well, all of these other sites are going to be developed. So we have to get the, the sort of cultural element that will active, that we can activate and that will tie everything together, that we've got to get that right first. And then everything around it will, will sort of, you know, almost not reference it, but I guess everything will have to relate to it. Yeah, I mean, I think the maybe the order wasn't sort of foreseen, mm. but the idea that the plaza was would be built, you know, in a you know the whole town centre is kind of a joint effort between you know a few different developers, you know, urban growth, city of Sydney, and so they were always talking about their their programs, mm. you know, when their projects would be delivered, and originally it was to when we started on the project the northern uh, side of the plaza all of those buildings would all be built when the library came online in the end because you know project programs are always different and and, uh, and always change it was just only one of them kind of came online and i think that was just a few a few months or six months or so after the library did but it wasn't so much the idea that the library would be built first in the plaza and then the other buildings would would respond i think quite a few of them have already been designed they're just waiting to come online right well um I guess, yeah, coming out of the, the, you know, finishing up with this project after such a long time of, you know, having to put together a submission and then, you know, present it to a jury and then develop it over so many years and, and have it built. It must have been fantastic and you must have developed some extremely strong relationships with the project team that you developed over, over that time. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the input of the people that you're working with, both in, in the actual competition phase and then through to the delivery phase? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, yeah, well, 2012 till sort of 2018 or 19 that it when it finished, and I mean, you know, every project kind of keeps keeps on going with a life of its own afterwards. <laughs> but no, it's it's been an incredible project to build relationships sort of within within our own team at Studio Hollenstein, with mm. our collaborating office, Stuart Architecture, with the City of Sydney, of course. I mean, we were very fortunate to have this the same design manager project manager through the the life of the project for a project that long that's incredibly rare and i think that meant that there there were never any things missed and and that was fantastic with the builder as well john holland group they they too we had the same project ma or design construction manager there the whole time as well and, and you know we're, we're still good friends so that's a good sign <laughs> but no it, it was amazing for that it's the kind of project that no one's ever done before that really pulls people together that that was really fantastic yeah and then how did you how did you sort of see or how did you go through that transition from the competition phase through to the actual design development and and delivery how did that how did that i guess change the change the project or your approach what what was the sort of transition there how did that go yeah i mean that was pretty interesting when we did the competition we weren't a full time office mm -hmm. so we were you know 
I think we did actually take a few weeks off work to, to do the competition once we got through the first stage. But once we once we were engaged after we won, it was, you know, setting up some computers on the, the dining table, hoping the client wouldn't want to come and visit the office, that you'd go and visit them. <laughs> because, of course, you do the work before you can invoice. So we're always sort of behind the invoicing at the start of the project. So that was, that was pretty fun. But, you know, once things were rolling, you know, it, it really, you know, was a, a great process. And in a way, starting an office on a project like that meant that we could really in, invent what a, an office should be, you know, today. So for a small office, we'd adopted, you know, so many of the processes of larger pro- larger practices, working on larger projects. And so we're, we're probably super unique for a, for a sort of a boutique firm mm-hmm. in that regard, rather than starting, you know, at the scale of a house or something like that. Not that one's better than the other, but they're both unique. Mm. And so, so did, that, did the project or did the competition and the project in Green Square, did that actually help evolve your practice and, and you know, turn it into what it is today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it it immediately let our clients or prospective clients know what our agenda was, what our approach was, that we are an ambitious architectural firm that really suits ambitious clients you know not not to put any other firms down but you know we're not we're not a commercial office you know we love architecture we're trying to create the best you know parts of the world that we can with with what we do so yet no it definitely did it of course sort of cemented a belief in in competitions Mm. and putting your ideas out there even if that's not through a competition Mm. yeah so i guess by that, do you mean that you know you're happy to to go for the big idea rather than sort of go safe, I guess, and and try to get things over the line just because you know we know we're pretty confident we'll get through. You're happy to actually take a stab sometimes and and see what the clients say. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean I think that's one of the one of the opportunities that a competition presents the design team mm. is that you can put anything you want in there. You know, you know what the clients asked for, the you know the competition organizer that's in the brief, but what they want to know is what you can add on top of that. What more ideas do you have? You know, of course, you know there's, there's no. I mean, not that there's no point, but, you know, you can choose to be completely outlandish if you want. But if you really believe what, what's important is putting forward what you really believe suits the client and suits that place mm. and could allow them to do so much more than what that brief is. You know, it's that brief and. Yeah, definitely. And and have you found that there's, yeah, that your I mean, the projects of different scale. So if you go to a smaller scale, that that still also translates into the work that you that you do there? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean we're super lucky in that we work across a really broad uh, range of scales. You know, one of our latest projects is a master plan for the agribusiness precinct, uh, which is part of the, uh, you know, Aerotropolis in Western Sydney. I I wish they'd change the name for that sooner. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, this is, I think it's about eight kilometres in one direction, four four Ks in the other. You know, it's as big as the eastern suburbs. It's, you know, it's huge. You know, one of our first projects was a, you know, 20 square square meter shop 
And so, yeah, no, no, absolutely. It totally, totally changes when you work across different scales. And I think that, you know, even on a small project, you can totally flip a brief on its head or you can totally allow for a lot more than what the brief might say. It's just about expanding your, your kind of frame of reference, you know, whether you're looking at the client and other things the client is, is doing or is interested in whether it's looking at the, the user group or the community or, or of course, the, the physical context as well, the, the landscape, the cultural context. Yeah, great. And I guess that's, that's a really interesting part of your practice in that you've, that you've basically started off the back of a competition or a huge part of the growth of your, your practice came out of a competition that you're still engaged in competitions. What, what do you look for when you thinking of taking on a competition, is there something? There's some elements of particular competitions that you look for, and then other elements that you try to avoid. How do you, how do you approach approach competitions in your practice? Yeah, I mean uh, there are lots of different types of competitions. Of course, you know even a, a tender is a competition of <laughs> of different sorts. You know, in some ways, even for a house, you know they, they might be looking for quotes from a few different architects, and so you know that's mm. that's a competition. But I think that you know in part you need to think about, or what we do is think about why the competition is being held? Why does the client want to hold one? Mm. You know, is it just to get a few extra square meters of GFA? So it's really a commercial decision. Is it because they want the best idea? Mm. Because, you know, maybe they don't, they don't, know, know what that would be yet. Is it because they're looking for a partner, mm. you know, and one of the easiest ways to find, you know, whoever would be the best collaborator is to, to put out a, you know, a competition and see what people can offer. And then, you know, I mean, you know, in a way I'd say yes to any of those types of competition, but, but then it, the question flips back to yourself and it's like, what can you bring to that to that competition, is there something that you see, is there an opportunity you see there that the client hasn't seen? Is there something you want to say or make a comment on through that competition? For instance, at Green Square, it was really about finding other ways to create public space that, you know, we thought that you could do more, you know, public space in, in Australia was maybe relatively limited. I mean, that was a maybe an opinion that had in 2012 um, but you know the bit the beach is the best you know one of the nicest public spaces here it's it's not about an urban condition so for us it was like mm. what could an urban space be in australia of course you have fed square but that has you know a whole lot of problems in itself as well as well as the you know the great things that it has done and the great things that have happened there as well and, and i think that's the key you have to have a hook as to why you want to do it it can't mm. be just to win in a way winning is probably if you focused on that of course that's a commercial driver for the, as a commercial or an office that that has to fund itself but it's a it's it can't be a focus because i think to really engage in a project you kind of have to have nothing to lose mm. and that's when you really put forward what you really believe you're not thinking about what will the client like you know as a sort of as a way to 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 win uh, you're thinking about what you think is relevant mm. yeah and i think that's that's a really it's a, it's definitely an interesting uh, approach because i guess some people think you know well, I guess maybe a lot of practices might think, well, we can't go too too risky in case in case they turn us back. <laughs> Whereas, you know, I guess the competition is there in place because they want to see risks. So it's you know 
it can actually pay off a lot more if you are taking those risks yeah. and putting yeah. it and sort of using the competition to to your advantage. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that, I mean, as much as probably what I just said doesn't sound like a, a commercial mode to operate in, mm. but even in a commercial, you know, there are a lot of competitions in Sydney run by developers, you know, in order to, to increase the you know, the development capacity of a site as well as, you know, to be, you know, to create a good city or great city. Hmm. But I think that even in competitions like that, there is a way to create more in a project that when you get to that point, that creates so much more value for the client as well Mm -hmm. uh, or the landowner. And so, you know, by kind of putting the commercial imperative to the side, sometimes it's actually exactly that, that, that will mean that it's so much more valuable to the client as well, because Mm -hmm. you're really looking at creating amenity, desirability, affordability, you know, you're creating part of the future. Mm. And it also seems like performance was a really big part of you know that that delivery that you're talking about for Green Park as well because you got you know five green stars for for that project. I mean, was that a, was that a big driver for that, or did you you know say that that was a good initiative to include? Yeah, I mean that was that was a. In the brief, there were aspirations. I mean, City of Sydney are incredibly ambitious. You know, they're at the forefront of what local governments can do on on sustainability and, and to be honest, most most issues. So, so it was definitely part of the brief. But for us, it was also about how do we integrate this in the in you know, it's not just sustainability stuck on; it's totally integrated. Hmm. And you know, where we thought, hey, we need as, as big a plaza as we can, as as well as as big as a library as we can. So we put the most of the building or the interior underground Mm. that's also a great way to regulate a building's temperature and so you know we had that was fundamentally part of the driver and and really ensured the outcome as well and i actually think that i've got to double check this but green square is six star now the precinct has sustainability initiatives that are precinct wide Mm. like recycled water network and things like that and so one of those systems just came online in the last sort of year or so so it's six star now (laughs) oh fantastic so yeah moving forward with with your practice and all the work that you've got on and if you can scroll through so many different projects that you've got on your website what do you think is the is the biggest thing that you're trying to deliver with with your projects moving forward after your experience on on green square yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. We're trying to upgrade the website, or slowly upgrading the website <laughs> at the moment, actually, and, you know, things like that more broadly in the office. But for us, you know, architecture is a, an enabler. The only reason anyone ever builds anything, it's to allow something extra to happen, whether that's, you know, like crossing a river with a bridge, whether it's shelter to stay dry for a house. And, if you can create something that can enable you in as many ways as possible, that's the ideal. So for us, that's always the driver. It's never the aesthetics. It's never, you know, just to kind of tick a box or or fit into some kind of style. It's really an enabler. Of course, that's not just a functional component, you know, atmosphere, you know, comfort, the way a building or a project makes you feel or makes you think is also a way a project can enable. But that's, yeah, that's that's the driver for us. And how can we do that in an inviting and inspiring way? And I think maybe one of the, you know, the parts of architecture that's less considered, you know, everyone sort of thinks that, you know, architecture, it's the built thing at the end. And that's, that's what your driver is. Architecture can also be, you know, 
like conceptual projects that change a narrative, change the way people see an area or an issue. And I think that's there are real opportunities with that as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me on this episode of Hearing Architecture, Matthias. It's just so great to see to see what you've been doing with Green Square and then all of your projects that came that have come after that. Yeah, we just can't wait to see what Studio Holenstein is going to be producing in the future. So thank you so much and yeah, we hope to talk to you again in the future. Oh thanks, Daniel. Thanks for having me. I'll, I'll come back anytime. That's been a pleasure. This has been an episode of Hearing Architecture, proudly sponsored by Brickworks. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our guest in this episode, Matthias Hollenstein from Studio Hollenstein. We're very grateful for your time and we can't wait to see your future work either privately or via a public competition. Our sponsor, Brickworks, also produce architecture podcasts hosted by modernist fanatic and comedian Tim Ross. You can find The Art of Living, Architects Abroad and The Power of Two at brickworks.com.au or your favourite podcast platform. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture in your favourite podcast app. If you want to know what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Stacey Rodder, Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.